I'm very excited about this particular um, passage of Scripture. Of course, the Bible is one book, uh, but it has 66 books inside of it. And uh, the first 39 were written before Jesus came. The last 27 were written after Jesus went back to heaven. The main theme of the Bible is how can people that have a sin problem like us be reconciled with a God who's holy? And uh, the main character of the Bible is Jesus. He's the main character of Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way to the book of the Revelation. Every book of the Bible, the main character is Jesus. You can see him in types and shadows and his name. Because he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No man can come to God but through Jesus Christ. Religion can't get you to God. Uh, the baptistry waters may be stirred this morning, but they can't get you to God. Uh, being a member of a church can't get you to God. Being the best you can do is not good enough because every day we think things, we say things, we do things that are not right. And God is always right. He's holy. And so that's one of the reasons God gave us the Bible. Number one, to show us how we can have eternal life, how we can have our sins forgiven. The second reason for the Bible is to tell us how to get to heaven, from, not after getting to heaven, but how to live after I know I'm going to heaven. And now I know what I'm supposed to do. And I'm so grateful for the scriptures. Well, one of those 66 books is the book of Luke. Now, Luke is uh, it's a name that is given to the author's name is Luke and the book is named Luke. It's one of four gospels in the New Testament. When you see the book of gospels, you're thinking of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew tells us that Jesus is the king. Mark, he's a servant. In Luke, he's man, he's the man-God, and in John, he's the God-man. Uh, Luke talks about being the son of man. It's 23 times mentioned in this book, the word son of man. Let me tell you a little bit about Luke, if I can, and we'll read the scriptures. But Luke is a, we believe him to be a Greek. He was a Gentile, or at least a holistic Jew. He wasn't from Israel. He was a, a medical doctor by uh, his occupation. And you'll find the diseases uh, that Jesus healed are very articulated in the book of Luke. A diagnosis and, and what happened and how someone has and what he did to heal them. Very specific. Of the New Testament books, 27 of them, the two longest ones, um, by, by way, if I understand this right, is the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And uh, the Revelation will be a long book as well, but not as long as these two. But those two books were written by Luke. He's very articulate, he's very educated, and he's very diligent. He's a hardworking guy. We believe he possibly was uh, saved uh, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, possibly in Philippi. Some people believe he might have been one of the doctors training at the... At the, uh, at the um, the school of Tyrannus, or teaching there, uh, there when Apostle Paul was in Ephesus. But he did decide to leave his practice primarily to practice for just one person, and that was Paul. He traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys, and he would take care of him. Paul had been beaten many times in his, in his ministry. He had been stoned and left for dead. He had in, endured many shipwrecks and out of the sea. He had a problem with his eyes, uh, historians believe. He had a malady of the flesh of some sort. He called it a thorn of Satan to buffet him. But 
he had, God had provided him an illness, but he also provided him with a physician that would travel with him. And, and Luke became that physician. And that during the time, though, God used him not only to care for the Apostle Paul, but also to, to write two books of the Holy Spirit that would lay on his heart to do. Once again, people will some, some, sometimes say, oh, that book's just written by men. And yes, just like this pen wrote the note that I wrote to my friends. But it wasn't written by this pen, it was written by me. I moved the pen to say what I wanted to say. And that's how the Bible's written. It's written by God, and it's written to say what he wants to say. Holy men, instruments that belong to God, like this instrument belongs to me. The men of God who wrote the Bible, they belong to God. They, they spake as they were moved by God's Spirit. And Luke is one of those men. I love this book. I think, it's a great, I think it's a great book of the Bible. We'll probably not go from start to finish on the book, but I want to spend at least now until Christmas morning taking and going through the book of Luke, chapters 1 and at least chapters 2, maybe even 3. And I'm looking forward to sharing it with you today. I hope you'll read it at home. I hope you'll meditate on it, think about it. Sometimes you can read it at home and you can bring the cake and we'll try to put a little icing on it, all right? You can already have your understanding uh, enlightened on it. It's a great book of the scriptures. And uh, so we're going to take time just to look, look and see a few things. Now, I think probably if we remember, we studied the book of Acts recently the Apostle Paul was in jail in a place called Caesarea. It was at the end of his ministry. He would have about four years, five years at the most, left in his life. He was probably in his late 50s. Really young man. Uh, late 50s there. And uh, he would be arrested in, Ro in Jerusalem, moved from Jerusalem to Caesarea, which is on the western shores of Israel, in a palace, in a palace of Agrippa. And he would stay there with Felix, excuse me, Felix and Festus, they would be there. And he would kind of be a, a, a political prisoner to some extent. And he would stay there for two years, and then they would move him on that ship. Remember those 14 days going through the ocean and landing there in Malta, and then going on into Rome, where he would stay two more years under house arrest, and then later be moved into a prison across the street from the, the Roman Colosseum, where he would, be, he would eventually be executed. But during that time, Luke was with him. Luke was staying there. I think much of the information that Luke gathered, he gathered while Paul was in Caesarea. That's about 60 miles from Jerusalem. And while Paul was there, uh, many times he was able to have company. Both times at the end of his life, he was able to receive friends with regularity. Sometimes when you go to prison and to visit someone, they won't let you in. They said, no, he's in, he's in confinement. But with Paul, the last four years, he was able to receive his friends. Luke was his main companion. There were other folks like Aristarchus that was with him on the trip. They went to uh, Caesarea to, to Rome. But Luke was his main companion and stalwart. He stayed with him. But some of the time while he was in jail, I think Luke went down into Bethlehem and in Nazareth and in Jerusalem. And he interviewed a lot of people during that time. Some believe he even talked to Mary, the mother of Jesus. I don't know if that's true or not. But he interviewed, no doubt, people who understood shepherds because he gives us a lot of information about the early life and what happened before him, more than Matthew, more than Mark, more than Luke. His purpose was to show his manhood and, and who he was and where he came from and what happens before. 
So it looks like to me that Dr. Luke uh, was able to go and uh, find lots of information. Another interesting thing is that he writes both the book of Luke and the book of Acts to a fellow named Theophilus. Theophilus means a lover of God. I don't know. Some people say, well, Theophilus was just, a, was just a name of anyone who loves God. But most people believe that he was actually a Roman authority. He was someone who worked in the Roman government who had come to know Christ. He definitely had deep pockets. He was financially secure. And some people believe that he used his money and said, Paul, uh, you're helping Paul. I'm going to help you. And I want to support you while you care for him. And Theophilus was someone who had a, a testimony that they loved the Lord. That's what the word means. Theophilus means a one who loves Christ, one who loves God. And I think that maybe Theophilus might have been someone who subsidized Luke to care for Paul and helped him in getting this uh, letter done and gave him time and a place to stay and money to take care of because he wanted to know. He had come to know Christ, but it seems like Theophilus wanted to know more about, the, about things, and of course, he would pay for it, and we would enjoy it. How many are glad you got the, the story of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2? You can thank a man named Theophilus, who gave of his substance to help a man. You can thank another man, a, na a man named Luke, who used his gifts to help put it all together. And I'm excited about it. Let's look at verse number 1. We're Luke in chapter 1, verse number 1. If you got your Bibles and you're happy you got one, would you say amen? Amen, amen. for as much. As many have taken in hand to show forth or set forth in order um, the decoration of those things which are most surely believed among us. He says, here's my, here's my purpose. Verse 1 says, here's, here's why I'm writing this. I'm writing to set in order and to kind of confirm things that we all believe. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse number 12 tells us about a mutual faith the Apostle Paul talked about. He said, most of the people are going to get this. You have already accepted the Lord as your Savior. And you know, you know, you believe Jesus because the Word of God was shared with you. But I'm going to give you some background and set in order some things as they happen from the beginning. Verse number 2. Let's look at that and let's read it out loud together. Even as they delivered them unto us. He said, even as they, from the beginning now, he said, from the very beginning, we went and found some eyewitnesses, some people that saw it happen. So I think he probably tried to find some old shepherds that might have been on the Judean hills when the angels came and said, Jesus is here. Go into Bethlehem. He said, I went out and found some eyewitnesses and some other people who were ministers of the word. They had received the word and they know what happened. And so we went out and we found these eyewitnesses and we found these people that were, were there early on. And we've got some things together for you. Look at verse number three, would you please? It seemed good to me also having this perfect understanding of all things from the very first. So he has a perfect understanding that just kind of, kind of means that he had, a, he had a clear and complete understanding. He got all the dots connected for him. He, he understood it now. How many have ever been a little bit confused from time to time? How many are really confused right now? Put both hands up, all of you, right now. I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, you know, well, you get confused. Sometimes you're like, I don't, I don't understand it. I remember listening to my ge uh, geometry teacher in high school, and I was just like, I don't get it. You got to prove that? Just take it for what it says. We don't need to prove anything. 
Just take it all, the givens you have. I love the givens. Let's just get all of it given and let's just tell me what it is. Boy, I, could, I, I was getting her really frustrated. Miss Sarah Hall, she's with the Lord now. You pray for her. I'm sure, I'm sure she's, uh, anything bad happens to me is probably because she talked to the Lord about it and said, hey, get Wilkerson down there. Nail him down for all those dumb questions he asked me in geometry. But you know, the truth of the matter is, sometimes I just, the dots didn't connect. He said, but now I think I have a full understanding of everything that happened from the beginning, at the very first. Look, if you would please, verse number three again, the Bible says here, and um, now I write unto thee in order, or chronologically, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mayest know that the certainty of the things wherein thou hast been instructed. He goes, I'm writing all this to you, uh, Theophilus. So that you'll have an understanding of everything that you've heard, you can build upon your faith. I don't know about you, as I think about just those first four verses, I kind of get excited. You know why I get excited? Number one is that God made every person with gifts and strengths that God wants to use today. You know who Luke was? He was just another fella that had some gifts. You know who Theophilus was? He's another fellow. Both of them had come to know Jesus, and they, they just used what God had given them for the glory of God. You know who Esther was? She was another lady who realized she had come into the kingdom for such a time as this. You know who Ruth was? She was a Moabite girl from the other side of the tracks, but yet God grafted her in to the house of God because she had faith. I don't care who you are. God has got you. You know, I want to just say quickly, I think, teach, I think Luke is a gift of a teacher. He is someone who sees things and puts it in print, who organizes things. I don't, I don't know this for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if Dr. Tom Vogel has one of the gifts of his, in his repertoire of being a teacher. He can see things. He can articulate things. He can put things together. Brother Keith Tebow, who put together the King's Kids program, he did that overnight. Overnight, he organized the entire thing and put it in print. I think Dr. Dan Seamer is a good example of that. Brother Roger Vochelle is a good example of that. Um, uh, Brother Phil Penns is a great example. People that you can throw out an idea, and before you know it, they'll send you seven pages typed out 15 minutes later. For me to do that, it would take me a lifetime. Because that's not my strength. But thank God for people who use their strength. If you like the book of Luke, you can thank God for a teacher. But then I think about Theophilus. He's a giver. Theophilus used what God gave to him. He was not going to be interested in writing a book. But you know what? He might say, you know what? You're good at that. Let me help you. If you're going to write, you're going to need some time. If you're going to take care of Paul, you're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to, there's only so much time you can spend at the jailhouse. So maybe use some of that time to tell me more about what you learn. And Theophilus is a giver. He is someone who uses what God has given him to bless others. And we're, our church is full of this, this kind of a gift. We have got people in this pew. Now, they're all covered up by skin. You don't know them, and I don't even know who they are. But they're people who are the lifeblood of this church. They're not people that are going to come over here and strap on a lapel mic and start talking. They're people who see uh, the ministry through what they can give. Whenever there's a missionary thinking, or you see a loved one, lost a loved one, someone's thinking, you know what, that, that, that family needs some money. That family's got to just now plan a funeral they weren't expecting. Most of us, we don't, we don't insure our infants and get money when our infants die. No. <coughs> that family's going to need some money. I'm going to help them. There are people all over this room, every time a missionary slide is shown, some of us, uh, other people who give, they're, they're very interested. 
Tell me more. What, what, what are they doing? What do they need? How can we get that? Oh, they got to get some tracks. they got to get some paper. they got to buy land. Let's do that. There are givers, and I thank God for the givers. I thank God for the, the teachers. I thank God for the organizers in our church. I thank God for the servants in our church. For many years after our service, on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night, our families of our church, some of them, there's a family today. When all of us leave, they'll come and they'll clean up everything in the auditorium. They'll pick up all the paper that we left and we didn't put back. They'll organize the songbook that we didn't put back where we got it. They'll pick up someone's drink that they spilled because they were bringing food in here they really shouldn't have done or drink in there. They'll have to do that. They'll do that. They'll spend, their, they'll spend an hour or so after the service picking up all the things. You know, they may not be able to give a lot, but they can give their time and their effort and they're doing something. There are people who clean bathrooms after church on a Sunday night or go to one of our Sunday school rooms and, and organize it for next Sunday so other people won't have to do that uh, through the week. They, just, they use their time and their effort. Everybody has a gift. And I look at Luke and I look at this wonderful book of the Bible, all 24 chapters. I thank God, first of all, for a man who used his gifts. And I thank God for a man who gave of his substance so we could have that. And listen, whatever God's made you good at, decide. Lord, show me what I'm good at and help me to operate in my strengths. When you have, there's seven gifts I know in Romans that God gives people. And you ought to, you ought to, uh, you ought to, you ought to thrive in one, but you ought to strive for all of them. If God's given you good, I've got some men over here. I'm thinking about Brother Tom and some others. Whenever there's something to be done, they want to participate. They want to say, you know, what can I do? How can I network? How can I use my strengths, my business, my family? What can we do to contribute? It's not always about the dollar bill. It's oftentimes it's encouragement. You know, there's a gift of exhortation. That's somebody who comes along and makes good things better. They encourage the people in their sphere of influence. They find pe people who are exhorters are good disciplers because they want to make sure that people get it, that they keep growing. Like Apostle Paul was an example of an exhorter, till Christ be formed in you. And I think about these first four verses of Luke. I say, you know, number one, if you got a gift, use it. And you do have one. Don't waste your time. There is no reward for well done, thou good and faithful spectator. All of us need to do something for God. And so often, so many people, if you're not careful, those of you who have been saved for a few decades, be careful you don't become a spectator. Just watching people. Some of you, you sing in the choir, you can still sing in the choir. You used to play an instrument, you can still play an instrument. And if you don't use it, you're going to have a problem. You're going to probably lose it. Find something you can do. People who just sit and watch the world go by usually become very critical. People who use their gifts and serve the Lord, they're too busy to do that. They, got, they, got, they understand that, you know what, I'm not doing all that hot of a job in my realm. How can I criticize everybody else? i got to get some things going here. Look at verse number 5, would you please? Luke chapter 1, verse number 5. Now here he begins into the narrative. There was in the, in the, in the days of Herod the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. He gives us the setting. The setting is Herod the Great. This guy would be the one who would eventually kill little babies and uh, kill the children. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but boy, it's an amazing. Uh, it takes a wicked person to kill babies. You have to get really numb on the inside to think it's okay to kill babies. But that is, that's a satanic form. Pharaoh did that in the Old Testament. He killed babies. Herod the Great, so jealous, concerned about losing his kingdom, thinking about him, he killed babies. That's why we kill babies today. That's why, that's why abortion is so rampant. 
is because people are fixated on their conveniences. 9,000 babies were aborted in Indiana last year. 30 of them was because, uh, supposedly because of, of, of incest and rape. 30 of them. 30 of 9,000. The rest of them were killed out of convenience. Wanting to enjoy, the, enjoy the, the, the blessings of only a married couple should enjoy. Then we have, a, we have a product. And now we want to abort the product. I've argued with enough nurses and doctors in emergency rooms. Yeah, we, need just to, we just need to, to, to terminate the product here. No, 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 no. But anyway, Herod the Great would be the one who would kill babies. He'd kill, he would kill every little, little Hebrew boy he could find two years under making sure he tried to get Jesus, and that didn't happen for him. But this is the guy, and so Luke gives us the setting. And then he introduces to another man named Zacharias. Or Zach, Zacharias. He was one of about 20,000 men in the tri- tribe of Levi. Let's look at it real quickly, verse number 5. And we see a certain priest named Zacharias, and of the course of Abiah. And I'll tell you about that in just a moment. His wife was the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. Would you read that last word? Blameless. Interesting here. Now we find that, the, that Luke is going to introduce us through the instrument of the Holy Spirit of God, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, to a man named Zacharias. He and his wife Elizabeth are older and have passed the time in which they could have children, but they always wanted children. She was without a child. But he was in the tribe of Levi, and so was she. The children of Israel are divided into 12 tribes. Uh, We have our oldest, uh, Reuben, and then Judah, and and then it goes all the way down, Simeon, and Gad, and and, uh, Asher, and Zebulun. They they go all down even to Manasseh, uh, the two sons of, of, um, of Joseph there. And so there are 12 tribes there. One of the tribes is the tribe of Levi. And God had planned that one tribe would not take care of cattle. They would not farm land. Their job was to teach God's people his word and his ways. And that's exactly where Zacharias was. He was of the tribe of Levi. Now, they lived in the area of Jerusalem, someplace in that region in Israel. But there were 20,000 men who were in that tribe who had the responsibility to be a priest. And uh, they look back in your Old Testament, 1 Chronicles chapter 24. David orchestrated them into 24 uh, sections. Abiah was the eighth of the 24 groups of people. And of course, the temple was very large. How many have been to Israel before? You've been to Israel before? You've seen the temple. It's big. It's large. But it doesn't need 20,000 priests to be there to do its job. So they would divide up. And two weeks a year, one section of them would come and do the responsibilities of the daily organization, the ordinance that God wanted. Well, now it's Zacharias' time. He would do it two times a year. And then when they would come, every person had a special job. But one of the more special jobs was the burning of incense. While the people were outside the temple walls praying... One of the priests would be given the job to burn incense in the Lord. This is not in the Holy of Holies. This is not on the Day of Atonement. This is every day. 
And people would come and, and they would look over the wall and they would see the incense burning up into, into the God's nostrils, if you will. Incense of, of forgiveness of sins and of praise and worship to God. And they would, they would the, of the men who was that week to do on that day, if there were seven days, one of those days, they would cast lots. That would be kind of like rolling the dice or picking straws to which guy would have a chance. And some priests never got to do it their whole life. Others of them, it might be a once or twice in a lifetime, you would get the opportunity to burn the incense. But now, Zacharias, it's his time. By the Lord's providence, he was chosen. His job today wasn't to open the door in the house of my God. Remember that? I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents. That was the most simple job anyone could do, which is open the door for the worshipers to come in and close the door, like ushers today. That was a simple job, but that was one of the jobs of the priest. Some of them would make sure the water had water in the laver. Some of them would have other jobs, would help with the animal sacrifices and cleaning the animals and, and sterilizing the things that were there. And some of them were to keep the fire burning on the altar of, of the burning altar. Everyone had their own job. It was a special job. And on this day, by God's design and by his providence and by his arrangement, it was Zacharias was chosen by lot to burn the incense. And so he does that. He's an older man. His wife is from the same tribe, and they have come. Now, God tells us before he tells us what happens on this, and we'll talk about this again tonight. He tells us what happens uh, about them. Let's just look about them, and let's learn this, if we can, please, begin in verse number 6. So we know his name is Zacharias. Her name is Elizabeth. They're from the tribe of Levi. Verse number 6. And they were, would you read the next word? Once again, they were what? They were both righteous. Can I just say this real quickly? If you are a married person, why don't you decide that you're both going to be right before God? It grieves me when I find a man who is right and a woman who is not right. A wife who is right and a husband who can't get it together. You know, it's a beautiful thing of this couple. They figured it out together. They were both of them righteous before God. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter number 5, verse number 21, the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. I think it's an important thing for all of us to understand. Look, if you're married, get on the same page with God. If you get on the same page with God, you'll be on the same page with each other. I love this statement. I never, I've not seen it. I've read this many times. But I never saw that they were both. Elizabeth and Zacharias were on the same page. They were righteous in the sight of God. Now, when you see the word righteous in the Bible, you're going to see it a lot of times. I challenge you, look up how many times the word righteous, righteousness, or right is found in the Bible. It's one of the key components and the key words and the concepts of the scriptures. Matter of fact, the Bible says that's why I gave you the Bible. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's what's right. For reproof, that's what's not right. For correction, that's how to get right. And instruction in righteousness, how to stay right with God. The whole, the Bible's given to us so we would know what's right to do. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his. He tells us in the book of in the Romans, he says, now look, the kingdom of God is not what you eat and what you drink. It's not meat and drink. It's not rules. But it is righteousness. It is 
peace, and it is joy in the Holy Ghost. Doing what is right brings about joy and peace. And I want to just challenge us this morning. First of all, use your gifts. If you're like Luke and you're a teacher, teach. Learn. Document. Put things in together. Talk about the scriptures. Encourage somebody else. If you're an exhorter, exhort. If you're a ruler, organize. If you're a servant, serve. If you're a giver, give. If you're a mercy giver, give mercy. If you're a prophet, proclaim. Do what God wants you to do in your realm. Number two, if you're a child of God, be right with God. They were both righteous before the Lord. Righteous in their position. By the way, let me just close by this. Everyone needs to leave this world righteous before God. And the only way you can leave this world righteous before God is to accept the righteousness of Jesus for your payment of sin. See, 100 years from this very moment, all that's going to matter for every one of us is where we live. In heaven with God or in hell without him. You're going to be either with God or without him 100 years from today. And the only way you can live eternally with, with God is you must have the righteousness of Jesus and his sacrifice applied to you. And the Bible says that this couple were righteous in the sight of God. They were righteous positionally and they were righteous practically. They lived it out good. That's great. But they had put their faith in Jesus Christ. I want to implore you today. If you're here today, you're not sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. Could I encourage you to put your faith in Jesus Christ? The Apostle John says in chapter 2 of 1 John, he said, my little children, I'm going to write you the Bible so that you won't sin. The more you love the Bible, the less wrong you will do. He said, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Everyone needs the righteousness of God. You either leave this world with your sin and a fair trial with a God who knows everything about you, and eternal damnation from him, or you leave this world with God's Son and a free pardon and an eternity with a God who loved you and wanted it that way. Make sure that you leave with the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Can we please? Father in heaven, I thank